And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Luke chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please uh, bless me as I preach your word. Please make my words true and useful. Give us ears to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, imagine if uh, a portal would open up, and I think the thing that comes to mind is in that sort of Doctor Strange way. I'm sure you're familiar with that from Marvel. Um, if a portal would open up uh, and we were to get a glimpse into uh, one corner of hell, And if we were to encounter a soul there, what would the soul say to us? That's kind of what we have in today's gospel. Jesus, who is, who knows the beginning from the end, who existed before death ever existed, who of course we know comes back from the dead, he's narrating truly about the next life. And so in in this verbal portrait, he's opening up a portal, as it were, into the next life, into Hades. And we hear one speaking from Hades. So it's a sobering message that Jesus relays to us. And certainly the two characters of the story, the rich man and Lazarus, whether or not, well, let me say it this way, certainly those correspond to real people's lives, right? Um, The rich who feast sumptuously every day, I'm sure that matched onto someone then and now, uh, and the poor man completely neglected. And this man uh, in hell, the rich man, he's not given a name in the parable. What does he tell us? In verse 25, he relates the misery, right? I am in anguish. And he he cries out, you know, warn them. He wants those on earth who are still living to be warned about what is to come. Verse 28. The rich man in hell has regret that he lived as he did. As, As described in verse 19, as feasting sumptuously every day. And it's really important at this point to um, intuit and to interpret a detail not made explicit in the parable, but I believe in the backdrop of the rest of Jesus' teaching is clearly at play, um, which is that this is not a story, some sort of morality story about rich versus poor, just by those distinctions alone. It's a distinction between um, a rich man who lived in sort of perpetual self-indulgence, right? Feasted sumptuously every day. And I know that it's not rich men totally because it perfectly paired in the wisdom of the um, lectionary with 1 Timothy 6, right? That's writing to rich Christians and says, well, rich Christians should be generous and ready to share and not trust in the riches, right? So it's not just that he was rich. It was that he was rich and chose to use those riches for self-indulgence. Likewise, the poor man wasn't, is not blessed Lazarus only because he was poor. There are plenty of poor who are wicked and unrepentant. But I think the sort of clue here is actually in the name, which would have been caught in the ears of the Jewish listeners. The name Lazarus means God is my help. And we see sort of even in the way he carries himself in the sort of the details of the story that he's um, seemingly uncomplaining. He's accepting this miserable state. And in sort of doing so, it becomes a means of sanctification for him. 
So it's a, a case of uncomplaining blessed poverty against self-indulgent riches. That's what's being contrasted in the, in the story. And a very interesting detail is that the rich man speaking to us through this portal from hell reveals that he doesn't think it was his fault that he carried his life in the wrong way. And he, he's, by implication of what he says he wishes was sent to his family members, he says, well, if a miracle had stopped me in my tracks, you know, then I would have known not to waste my life in self-indulgent living. I wouldn't have ended up in this place. But Abraham corrects him and says, you had the scriptures. Right? Moses and the prophets is a shorthand way of referring to the scriptures as a whole. Any day of the week, the rich man, had he have stopped by synagogue, and we don't know if he did or didn't, but in any case, his ears were plugged, but he would have heard Moses and the prophets read. And what did they say? He would, have stopped, he would have heard Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. He might have heard Isaiah chapter 58 read. If you pour yourself out for the hungry, right? Lazarus was hungry. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness. But the rich man ignored these scriptures. He hardened his heart against them. His ears were too full of sort of the music of entertainment to be able to receive God's word. And his heart was clogged with sort of the excess of luxury food. Unable. It was, I mean, it's such an interesting biological fact that corresponds to a spiritual reality that indulgent food hardens the arteries. What a spiritual picture. The heart gets hardened through indulgence in worldliness. The rich man ignored the scriptures, and because he ignored the scriptures, he ignored Lazarus, right? If he'd have obeyed the scriptures, if he'd have listened to Moses and the prophets, he would have, out of obedience to Almighty God, had compassion on Lazarus at his gates. And God even presents the rich man with something that, with a, a visual empathy. I mean, Lazarus is a pitiful sight, Right? The Greek word for place at the gate means thrown there, that he was stuck there, implying that he was crippled in his legs. And I think I always wrongly pictured the licking of the dogs. I thought of some sort of cute, like, golden retriever. I was like, oh, what a, like, nice thing. Um, I think if you see a developing world country, the way dogs exist there, it's much more like that, a mangy street dog. And even the word lick there is more like eat. Like, the dogs are trying to, like, eat his sores. Like he, Lazarus has no food, and the dogs are trying to eat him because he's almost dead. It's a gruesome picture. But yet, even still, even with that thing that to many would suggest a natural empathy, the rich man still doesn't heed God's commands inscribed in both law and even natural law. And so what's also quickening to us as, who hear this story, as, as well as Jesus' first hearers, is that we only have one sin recorded. Doubtless, you know, there were other sins as well, but there's only one recorded for why the rich man is in hell forever, and it's a sin of omission. He failed to show commanded compassion. A single sin of omission. He neglected God's word. It says in James chapter 2 that judgment is without mercy to those who showed no mercy. And this is a parable. 
it's always quite a parable, but it's not quite a parable that Jesus tells. I, I don't mean to say that. It's a story he tells. It's not quite a parable. Um, but it's, a, it's an instance of this, of this teaching. The rich man showed no mercy. And so in judgment, he was shown no mercy. Likewise, James in that same chapter says, anyone, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Even this singular sin of omission of compassion. So Jesus tells this story. Uh, It's not just some encyclopedia entry of like, well, this is what hell is like. It's a warning to to us who would hear this story. To heed the regret of the rich man that our lives would would not follow the way his life carried out. So the first exhortation for us who hear this story is believe the scriptures. That was the the root of the rich man's problem, as Abraham pointed out. He just didn't believe the scriptures. He didn't believe that what it said was true. He didn't believe that God really was just and really did command mercy. And as part of that, to sort of um, let go of the idea, well, if I had a more clear revelation, then I'd believe That was the rich man's false uh, appeal. We have Moses and the prophets. Not only, we actually have also the Gospels and the Epistles, the full witness of Scripture. And I think also believing what the Scriptures say in particular about heaven and hell. There's a constant sort of soft uh, attack on this doctrine of hell because it's painful to hear about. It's uncomfortable. It's like... It sounds to our mortal ears like too shocking to be true. And so there's always teachers who are trying to pull back on this element of Christian doctrine. But to just believe the scriptures as they sit and say, no, I wish in my instincts that I wish it wasn't the case. But the scriptures say there is a heaven and there is also a hell. Real and eternal. And the picture that we get from Luke 16 is uh, and a chasm between them. And none can cross over that there is no chance for repentance in the next life. This is the chance. God's given us, in his mercy, 80 years to realize that we need to repent. Hopefully 80 years. This is the chance to repent. And then, most significantly of all, in light of these other truths, believe in the only one who can rescue us from hell. That's why we sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. There's only one Rescuer, And I like the word rescuer because Savior we hear with a religious tone. It's the right title for our Lord. But rescuer makes us realize, yes, Savior from what? Rescuer from what? Rescuer from the just sentence for even one sin of omission against Almighty God. Trust in the rescuer. He who actually has, there's even this interesting parallels between Lazarus, right? He poor for our sake. Those who attacked Jesus and his crucifixion are called in the Psalms dogs, encircling him. He who, sort of in a literary irony, actually did come back from the dead and proclaim the truth of his message. And yet still, there are those who don't believe him. Jesus is actually prophesying about the failure of his own accomplishments in terms of its convincing power. Even if someone came back from the dead, people won't believe and sure enough, Jesus has come back from the dead and people, some people do not believe. Believe the scriptures that even 
the rich man would have been forgiven and not been sentenced to his eternal sentence if he had reached out to God in repentance and asked for mercy. Trust in Jesus personally as your rescuer. One of the things that I relish about the way Anglicanism frames the Christian life for us is coming to faith in Christ is not a one-time thing. That Well, we did that once. Okay, now what's next? We're always being led. Put the, the, the chief injunction from the Scriptures over and over is continue to put your faith, your real trust, in your real rescuer, Jesus Christ. The rest are literally details that stem from that. Trust in him as your savior. And the promise actually for us who trust in Jesus, Abraham's side is this picture of the antechamber of the departed waiting for heaven to be opened up, which couldn't be opened until Christ had died for our sins and had been raised from the dead. Our hope is actually not just to go to Abraham's side. That's like the halfway house. It's actually to go to eternal heaven, eternal paradise forever. Glory to him who's rescued us from hell. Amen.